0: The 615 Podcast with your host, veteran realtor and entrepreneur, Nick Woodard.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back to the 615 Podcast. Today, we have a good family friend with us. He is a uh, longtime NFL coach, colonel in the Marines, and Golden Gloves boxing champ. Guy, you've done it all, haven't you? Mr. Uh, coach Les Steckel. Thanks for coming on, buddy.
0: Thanks, Nick. Yeah, this is fun. I really uh, enjoy this time with you and uh, hopefully with your listeners.
1: Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, you guys are, having been in the NFL ranks, you've kind of been all over the place. Um, Coach for a whole bunch of different teams, a lot of college teams, NFL teams, um, tied into um, president of FCA, correct? Um, so we'll kind of get on to that on down the road but where did where did this all start from where did where did you get your coaching start
0: well I uh, you know I just got back from Vietnam as an infantry officer and my girlfriend who's now my wife of 46 years uh, miss Chris of was a press secretary for a US congressman and uh, we met on a co-ed flag football team and uh, uh, It's a long story, but I threw her a pass, and uh, it's been love ever since.
1: I must say, she's better than you, isn't she? Yeah,
0: she, she, you know, there's a family joke that she's the best athlete in the family, and I won't argue with that. (laughs) Uh, She can play tennis, basketball, softball, football. She she was quite a player on our flag football team. But my coaching career got started uh, at the University of Colorado. I was what they call a graduate assistant, and... uh, Believe it or not, uh, I got paid $150 a month. Uh, Wow. I slept on a cot in a garage in Boulder, Colorado, with no heat for 18 (laughs) months. And I lucked out and uh, fortunately got hired full-time.
1: As a Marine, that was nothing, right? It was nothing.
0: Right? Yeah. uh, Again, Chris, my girlfriend, would fly from D.C. to California, where she represented the U.S. congressman, and she would stop and stay. And the lady who put me in the garage would let her stay in the house, and uh, she saw what I was sleeping on. And I told her this, this beats Vietnam any day of the week. <laughs> so we uh, we ended up uh, getting hired full time at Colorado, and that started my career.
1: Right, right. Well, f- from Colorado, you ended up making stops a couple other places, but um, some of the most you know well known NFL you you were Vikings, Patriots, Broncos, Bucks. Um, you know, here in Nashville, of course you're part of the the uh nineteen ninety nine Titans season where we went to the Super Bowl and Music City Miracle and all that stuff. So you you were front and center with, with uh with that situation here in Nashville.
0: Yeah, we, we always talk about we lived in eleven states, made twelve moves and were with thirteen different Jeez. teams. So It it just tells you, uh, you know, when you have a wife of 46 years and you move 12 times, you got. We talk about teamwork and loyalty, and it's made a difference to say the least. But uh, we, we've enjoyed our career in coaching, and uh, you know, a side note, Nick. uh, When people say you were a colonel, it took. uh, I was in the Marine Corps 30 years. After three years of active duty with the Corps, I uh, decided to stay in the reserves. So people who know anything about coaches today uh, or anytime, you know, our next-door neighbor would say, well, it must be nice to have five weeks of vacation uh, every year in a row. And I said, well, I work on Christmas Day, New Year's Day, Thanksgiving, my birthday, my anniversary. And uh, so I would go on active duty with the Marines. So. We would leave mini camp in June, go immediately to the Marine Corps and serve five or six years out, or five or six weeks in the field, and then come back and immediately start two a days. So it was a rapid pace for 27 of my years in the Marine Reserves. But to have a wife and kids, um, you know, who would be flexible enough because of basically her attitude, it worked out really well
1: and that's crazy you know to, to have a young family at the time to to be jumping all over the place and traveling and and you know we've known your family for a long long time you're one of the closest knit families i've ever known and so that that's very special to be able to to keep that kind of family structure with as much moving around as you guys did
0: yeah i i've nicknamed my wife chris i call her preppy because she was a berkeley graduate And all my Marine buddies would tease me about, hey, you need to get a date with that uh, preppy from Berkeley. (laughs) And uh, so it's stuck ever since uh, we met back in 1971. And uh, I say she's the cheese in the macaroni and cheese. (laughs) She's she's the one that kept us together. Well, hey there. I'm Gabriel Sedlak. My wife and I, Holly, um, had the great pleasure of working with Nick and
1: buying a home home. I was a little bit surprised how I was already kind of preconditioned to what I thought the experience was going to be like. Honestly, Nick made it so effortless that it was literally like I wasn't even buying a house. It was just a normal transaction of life. So
0: I love that he took the pain away and just made it effortless. And I I cannot uh, tell you how valuable that is.
1: Your son, Luke, um, good friends with, with my little brother, Parker. You know, he's talked about you know, growing up, you know, his, his mom was, you know, big on teaching him how to throw a baseball and throw a football and, and, you know, cause you know, you were around, but you were, you were deep into the, the coaching ranks. And, uh, so, so mama had to kind of step in and, and pick up a little bit of that, that slack at home. So that's that's tough. Um, she's a tough, tough woman. Yeah. it's We been, love her to death.
0: Yeah. it's uh, There's a family story when Luke was just uh, in first grade and we had moved. I had been the coordinator at New England, and we had gone to Super Bowl twenty and had that uh, great game against the Chicago Bears. And I always tell people, you know, it was the 1985 Bears and their defense, and people ask me about the game. I said, you know, they scored right at the end of the game to uh, – barely beat us 46 to 10 and uh so <laughs> now we moved on to uh, boulder colorado where i started my career and i was back with the colorado team who had just won the national championship and uh chris and i started a co-ed softball team in boulder and uh, we're driving home one night and she played shortstop believe it or not with guys on the team that's how good she was and i was at first base and uh you know, we're driving home, and, and he said, Dad, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And he said, are you as embarrassed as we are? Because everybody knows mom's better than you are. <laughs> so I said, you know, Luke, I, I've been living this life uh, for some time, so I got it. I got it. <laughs> oh, that's
1: fantastic. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, you know, obviously we're here in Nashville. So uh, you spent five years as offensive coordinator with the Titans, correct?
0: Yeah, it was three years here with three, the Tennessee Titans. Okay. I was down in Houston for two years, but I was right, not right. the quarterback.
1: Okay. And and so when we we came up here, we obviously had that that special nineteen ninety nine season uh, where we you know go on and and have the Music City Miracle and um, which is you know one of the most iconic plays of all time, and uh, then go on to unfortunately lose uh, the Super Bowl um, to the um, who was it the Rams. That roster from those two teams, I mean, Bruce Matthews, Frank Wycheck, Steve McNair, Eddie George. On the other side you had, you know, Marshall Faulk, Kurt Warner, Tory Holt, just the list goes on and on. So what was special about that team that, you know, here in Nashville, they're they're kind of the the Bell Cows. They've kind of been the ones that we remember and talk about and you know, a lot of those players are still here in nashville and and doing things and seen in the public
0: yeah i i look back on that year and uh, we were blessed to say the least but you know we played the rams in the in the world championship game i just want to flash because i haven't forgotten about it we played uh, the st louis rams at home when both teams were undefeated and uh, we were undefeated at home i believe they were 7-0 and we were 6-1 and and I tell you what, we uh, at the end of the first quarter, and this was Steve McNair's first game back from back surgery, where uh, Dr. Watkins, I can still remember, talking to him on the phone, and he said, uh, Coach, I got some good news and bad news. And I said, Well, what's the bad news? And he said, um, Well, uh, let me tell you the good news first. He said, I took a such, and he used this huge medical term saying it was a big chunk out of his back. He had never seen something that big. He said, but we got, him, we got that out, and I think he's going to be fine uh, physically for the future, but the future's not uh, looking bright. He said uh, he won't be able to play this season. And five weeks later, he was starting that game against the St. Louis Rams. Wow. I've never been around an athlete who was physically as tough as Steve McNair. When I say this, and for the listeners, I'm not lying because I still go to the dentist who did it, but he had a root canal with no medication. How about no. that? and uh, I know I stopped asking her after about 10 years in a row I'd ask her and uh, with that being said uh, Steve played the game and at the end of the first quarter we were beating the Rams 21 to uh, nothing and I smiled because people said your play calling was outstanding and I said well I just closed my eyes and go eeny meeny mighty low on the chart and whatever I pointed to we played and worked and it was amazing how well we played. We ended up winning the game. It ended up being closer than we thought. They almost came back and beat us, as we did to them in the Super Bowl. But that was a, a most unselfish, and I've never been around a p- group of players who were so talented, but the egos, they never brought to work. Uh, they just, just left them chemistry. at the door. Yeah. Uh, I, I was blessed to have such players like Bruce Matthews and Brad Hopkins, Hall of Fame player, of course, Bruce. And then... Derek Mason and uh, Kevin Dyson and uh, Frank Wycheck and wow. Eddie George. You name all those people that are very active in our community today. That's 20 years ago. Uh, they were on offense. Yeah. And then I throw out Blaine Bishop, who's made it on radio uh-huh. and done a good job, who actually at that time was my favorite player because he had no business playing in the NFL, but he had such a heart, and uh, he got hurt there just before the halftime. And we were playing without Marcus Robinson and Blaine Bishop, our two starting safeties. And uh, it was tough because we had to put cornerbacks at safety. And uh, they just didn't understand the angles oh, That's, that was that's needed. a whole different game. It yep. really is. Yep. And uh, so with that being said, uh, I think people forgot about that big play right after we tied the game. They came back and one play later took the lead. But, uh, you know, we missed Blaine and we missed Marcus in that particular drive
1: well we had you know two iconic plays that year you know and and it's you know unfortunate we lost the super bowl but to experience the music city miracle which was the highest of highs to the last play of the super bowl which came up one yard short the lowest of lows like how did you manage that
0: well, now, as you asked me that question, Nick, uh, I immediately pictured myself in the in the press box. And, uh, you know, I was sitting there and uh, I, I was – I don't know if I've ever been more down as a coach only because I had such respect and, and actually love for these players on offense because we worked so hard and we worked so well together. And to see us all of a sudden against Buffalo kick a field goal to take the lead for the first time in the day. And uh, I remember just – putting my head down, saying, I don't know if I ever want to coach again. (laughs) This hurt so bad. And uh, not to sound corny, but being a Christian, um, I I heard the Holy Spirit say, "Uh, do you have faith? And I I said, yes, I have faith. And I said it out loud. Well, Steve Walters, the receiver coach, (laughs) is sitting next to me. looked at me like, wow, what is this all about? (laughs) And he looked at me strangely, and uh, the next thing you know, I looked up and Buffalo kicked off and I knew about the the play that uh, special teams had been working on for every Saturday for almost three years and I look up and Lorenzo Neal, our fullback, is running over to catch the kickoff and my first reaction was, what is he doing out there? He's not on this group. And I said, Lorenzo, he, he has a hard time catching a cold, much less a kickoff. <laughs> and so and so he catches it, and, and whoever he replaced because of an injury, he the individual was supposed to catch it and then throw it across field to Frank Whitechuk. So
1: he wasn't even the he starter for that? No, he wasn't. And, oh, wow. And so
0: with that being said, he... he He now knows that he needs to run across the field and hand the ball to Frank. I never knew
1: that story.
0: This is where your fans (laughs) can hear all the inside story. So he runs over and hands it to Frank. And with that being said, Frank, of course, throws it across the field to who? It was supposed to be, I believe, Derek Mason, but instead it was Kevin Dyson. Uh huh. So Kevin catches it and roars down the sidelines, and then I just get chill bumps through my body thinking about that. There
1: are no flags on the field. Yeah, exactly, <laughs>
0: and and really, uh, there was one time uh, when I was in the press box, and of course, I had to make the calls to Jeff in regards to should we throw the, you know, flag or not to to have it reviewed. Uh-huh. I said uh, the official on the sideline pointed in a backward direction saying it was a lateral. So they're going to have to overturn that. And I said, they're going to have a hard time overturning that in our stadium. They may not get out alive. Yeah. They do. But Joe Theismann, I believe, helped us more than anyone because on the television screen, he showed on the screen where the ball was thrown from. Yep, Frank's hands going backwards to Kevin Dyson's hands. It wasn't their feet or what yard line. It was the hands of catching it and throwing it. Right, right. And sure enough, uh, I got long winded to explain to people, but without a doubt, it was a lateral.
1: Man. And, uh, I remember just seeing people hugging each other and just, you know, strangers. And, uh, it, was, it was incredible. Well, and, you know, uh,
0: Nick, three years later, I was coaching with the Buffalo Bills, and my wife, uh, Chris, said. Uh, so they're going to ask you about it. it was a lateral forward pass. What are you going to tell them? And I said, well, if they ask me, I'll tell them definitely it was a forward pass. Yeah, but, absolutely. <laughs> but they know, never asked what, me. Whatever the referee said, guys. Whatever the
1: referee, and then, you know, to go into the Super Bowl and, um, you know, have to play really well. And then at the end, you know, the, the iconic play of of um, D. Mace, you know, catching it and, and that was it yeah on a one yard line so or that was Dyson I'm it was sorry I wasn't Dyson, it wasn't missing Dyson yes.
0: hey guys what's up it's Jana Kramer
1: and Michael Koston
0: alright so let's talk about Nick
1: He's the best.
0: He sold a bunch of houses for us.
1: That's why we're his favorite. But what you know, with as often as we've moved and, and bought sold houses, he's always made it seamless. He has for great. sure.
0: And he's gotten us the best deal. He's been aggressive. And he also, while we were in LA, he was here every step of the way in Nashville. Well, you know, because we trusted him and he was there making sure the house of our dreams was being built um, the right way. He's not only a friend and a family member, but he's um, he's an amazing realtor. For
1: sure, and the one thing that stands out to me anytime I talk to people in that professional realm, whether it's our builder, other realtors, lenders, or whatever, they always go out of their way to make comments about Nick.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, man, like we really like Nick, like Nick is great. And how often do you hear that from the people that you deal with in these in these situations? that go out of their way to comment on what a great person the realtor
1: is. Because usually that's not the case.
0: No, not at all. So at the end of the day, vote Nick.
1: You wrote a book about that, One Yard Short. You know, that led on to, to kind of telling your story of, you know, overcoming adversity and just not quite getting
0: there. Yeah, the people at Thomas Nelson Publishers, which is the largest uh, Christian book uh, publisher in, in the country, uh, was after Chris and I had to do a book for years and we just kept you know, stiff on them because, you know, I said, I'm not an author. I don't care to write books and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, sure enough, they finally convinced us this would be a good thing to do. And I have to tell you, Nick, uh, it's one of the biggest blessings in our lives. We still hear from people. And we wrote that book almost 15 years ago on how so many men in particular say it's changed their life. Right. How many women have told us it's saved their marriage? Because when people see the cover, they think it's about football. But it's about how five people can travel and move twelve different times and still love each other after right. all those moves and the challenges. So, uh, if one person's interested, it's a book called One Yard Short, as you said, right. and the subtitle is Turning Your Defeats into Victories. Oh, so
1: good. And and my favorite chapter, obviously, you know, this goes into what we're about to talk about next. Is is you know, after that season, you went on to Tampa Bay for a stint, and when that unfortunately didn't work out, which what you got fired after that season, and it was the highest scoring offense they've had in franchise, franchise history. Yeah. <laughs> so that goes along with the NFL not for long. Like, yeah. How does that make sense? Yeah. How does that make any sense at all?
0: Well, you know, it, it was a definite challenging time in my life. Uh, there's been many, but, uh, you know, the headlines on the newspaper, not sports section, but on the newspaper, the Tampa Tribune, said, uh, most prolific offense in Tampa Bay history. The people there just supported us, went wild. The media made such a big deal. And in the past, it was always the defense, which was ranked number one, and the offense really didn't get much coverage. Actually, uh, in several categories, there were only 31 teams at the time, and uh, Tampa Bay was 31st, as in the bottom of the pile, in many categories, and we went from 31st to 1st or 3rd. So how do you explain someone getting fired? And uh, uh, a dear friend, Tony Dungy, was the head coach. But uh, there was a lot of political uh, (laughs) undermining, a lot of political currents behind the scenes that I was so naive to. But later, Rich McKay, the GM, the next day after I got fired, explained the whole story. Uh, I don't think we need to go into detail about that, but I think people listening know that where their workplace is, there's always an undercurrent that people are unfamiliar sure. with, and I was. But well, we had a great experience.
1: Sure. Well, as, as a believer as you are, you know, I've read the book multiple times. I know your story because we're, we're family friends. But as a believer, you see the bigger picture. As to that was just a, a step in the process that, that took you on to, to bigger and better things.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, just to, to share that, Nick, uh, I can picture myself right now sitting in this little office in Tampa. The facilities were horrible. Actually, the practice field was right next to the takeoff runway at the Tampa Airport. Yeah. So we always wanted <laughs> crowd noise. Well, we had yeah, crowd noise go. every day of practice. And uh, Tony came in and said, you know, uh, it was actually the second time you ever walked in my office. He really gave me tremendous freedom. It was a joy to work for him. And he just said, Les, we're going to have to let you go. And I looked at him and I said, what? you got to be kidding. And he said, no, we're going to have to let you go. And I said, did you pray about that, Tony? And he said, I did. I said, okay. I said, uh, did you pray long and hard about
1: that? Because <laughs> y'all are good friends. Yeah. And, and it had to be very uh, he difficult. Said, he
0: said I did. And I said, that's good enough for me. Then I know God's at work and uh, something's around the corner. We, we just don't know what it is. Right. And little did uh, we both know that uh, a year later, uh, my mom and dad were admitted to uh, intensive care in 2001, my first year out of coaching after that in Pennsylvania. Uh, my dad had a heart attack, and my mom had a stroke. Jeez. And so who could have gone back right. to Pennsylvania? Right. My brother was a football coach. I was a football coach. My sister was in Oregon with a little kids, So um, that gave me that opportunity. And then, of course, the following year, Nick, you know what took place at Brentwood High School.
1: Of course, of course. Well, I, I'm a, uh, a graduate of Brentwood High School myself, and my little brother, who's your son's good friend, um, their senior season— the coach invited you to to come back and and be a part of that coaching. Um, you know the, the ranks and the well, you weren't offensive coordinator, but you were you know specialist or whatever. But they brought you on that that coaching staff, and y'all went on to, to win a state championship, which is an incredible story in itself. Um, I wanted to ask you a couple questions about that. You know, having read the book and everything, and I was a part of of watching this unfold. You know, you coaching that season. You know, taking those kids through that process, getting into the state championship, and your son intercepts the pass to seal the deal to win the state championship. Like, God had his fingerprints all over this,
0: all over it.
1: (laughs) And and you know, that's just an incredible story to to be a part of our family. Um, Tell us a little bit about. What's the difference in coaching the NFL level versus the high school level? And nonetheless, your son and his friends. and
0: Yeah, the, the high school experience was tremendous. Uh, I can't say enough about Coach Ron Crawford, who's still the head coach at Brentwood High. He left for a short time but came back, and we've been lifelong. We're going to be lifelong friends, he and his family. But, uh, you know, uh, kidding aside, when people heard that Ron had uh, asked me to be the offensive coordinator for the team, uh we had all kinds of parents you know coming to uh practice and uh we made it we made a statement to them that uh if your son would not quit the team if little johnny would stay there because we're going to really work them hard that we guaranteed them uh, that they would all play on uh, friday night and uh I know a lot of people had a hard time believing that, but we had 23 personnel groupings on offense. Oh, wow. So everybody at least had one, two, or three plays every Friday night, and, of course, others had many more. But it was a special experience, to say the least. But uh, at the end, uh, as the season was going along, I remember saying to my wife, you know, I feel a lot of pressure in the NFL from the owner, from the general manager, from the head coach, and, of course, the fans, and, of course, all the self-generated pressure from myself – but boy, this one's rougher. I said nothing like Mama and Daddy. I said, you know, boy. Well, we got an NFL coach. We're going to go uh-huh. to the state championship. We're going to win. And I'm going. Wait just a minute yeah. here. You know how many people on this on this team are going to play Division one college football? And uh,
1: ironically, uh, a handful of them did. Yeah, that, that was a great team.
0: Yeah, Austin Everson, you know, went on to Ohio University and be a really great quarterback as he was for us. And then I tell everybody, Luke. The other captain played at that football powerhouse, Princeton. Yep,
1: yep, absolutely. <laughs> and now he's a he's a, a coach with the Titans as well.
0: He uh, is. He is. He's survived all four head coaches. I'm proud of him.
1: Oh, that's, that's incredible. Well, funny thing is um, my dad has told stories about you saying sitting down watching a game with you is like you seeing that game in a completely different language. You know, you're seeing stuff three and four plays ahead before before they even happen. I mean, is that – I mean, sitting in front of an NFL coach, that's – yes, you train yourself, but you just see the game differently.
0: You know, it, it's uh, anybody's skills and talents. I think experience goes a long way. I think sometimes what's frustrating and uh, for me as a young coach, I, I just traveled around the country as much as I could – and pestered uh, guys much older who have coached and experienced, you know, what what do you see here, how do you teach this, what's a fundamental I should emphasize, and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to go and speak at football uh, universities, uh, and they asked me to come in and share. And I have to be honest with you, Nick, I'm kind of heartbroken about some of the younger generation. Uh, they would just sit there nod, not take any notes, just sit All and right. listen. And then I would visit with them afterwards. Oh, yeah, well, I know that. I know that. I know that. And, you know, for me, I guess, uh, as they say, the more hungry somebody is, uh, the more able they're going to be able to help people in the future in their particular vocation. So my whole goal was to uh, allow young men at the university level, particularly at Colorado, to have an opportunity to go forward in the NFL. And uh, we're just uh, going through some boxes (laughs) because of this pandemic and staying at home uh, without a doubt, uh, we found these unbelievable uh, writings. And I didn't know this, but for my five years at Colorado, I had eight players drafted in the first or second round. Wow. And uh, that was my goal, and it turned out to be so. And then fast forward, you know, we were blessed to coach at the Naval Academy one year and then to be so young and go in the NFL. Uh, I've I just uh, stayed in touch with all kinds of players. Right. Uh, over the years and I I tell people who are listening who are interested in working with young athletes at any sport know this when you get to be an old geezer like me and I'm in my 70s you look back and when you get a phone call from a young man or young woman who you have coached and they call you and say I remember you told me this or I remember you put your arm around me and shared this uh, that means a lot, particularly when you're in the fourth quarter of the fourth season of life that I'm living. So I encourage uh, people out there working with the youth today, make a difference in the kids' lives, and winning and losing goes away real fast for okay. youngsters. Believe me, 30 minutes after the game, they forget who yeah, won or lost.
1: That's special. That's special. Well, that was kind of you know the first half of your life, the first three quarters of your life. You stepped into a different role after that. So after you came back and coached that high school team, you went on to, to Buffalo for a year. Then after that, tell us about what happened. You know, once you decided football was over.
0: Yeah, I. Uh, you know, I I have a, what I call a, a prayer log. I've been keeping a prayer log each year since 1985. That year we went to Super Bowl 20 with the Patriots, and Charles Stanley, <clears throat> who I got to know, a, a famous pastor down in Atlanta. He really encouraged me to do so. So I've done that. And uh, the morning uh, in 2004, I got up and I looked, and uh, sure enough, uh, not to sound corny again, but uh, there it was, uh, July 11th, my mom's birthday, uh, 1999. uh, Prior to the Super Bowl year with the Titans, Chris and I were on an Alaskan cruise with Charles Stanley. And uh, I remember uh, one day, I'll never forget it, at 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, I just woke up instantly, and I don't think anybody really wants to see what I look like when I wake up at four in the morning, but I got up, and I said, this is really unusual. And uh, I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, what, what is it that you're about to tell me? And uh, he said, in five years, you're going to be in the ministry. Now, I know that sounds weird to a lot of people. It wasn't an auto voice, but I will say this. It, it was loud and clear inside right. of my head. And I thought, five years, I'm going to be in the ministry? And uh, fast forward, now it's 2004, and uh, I'm out of work because we got fired at Buffalo. What's new? And... uh, (laughs) there's a big super You're getting Bowl used party. to this it
1: is successful as you are yeah. during the year you oh, got to get used to yeah. it yeah
0: and I just went up there as a position coach and you know it was a wonderful experience Dick LeBeau was on defense he was hired to be the consultant for defense I was hired to kind of be the consultant for offense and Dick and I you know got together a few times and uh, I said did they ever ask you anything I go not yet and, you know <laughs> season's almost over you know but anyway uh we uh you know, there was a party across the street at uh, Mike Munchek's house for the Super Bowl, which he did every year, and they were looking for an offensive coordinator, and uh, my wife and I were invited, and I said, I'm not going, and she said, why? I said, because five years is up, and I don't know what that meant, but I know wow. that meant something, so I went to church, and after church service, Mike Lynn approached me and said, hey, if you ever get tired of coaching, I have a job here for you at the church. And I get chill bumps telling you that because what would I expect? Mike Glenn offered me an opportunity to help with the men's ministry. So this was five years. Exactly five years, and it was 2004. And so for 2004, my first year out of coaching after 32 years, I worked uh, full-time at uh, Brentwood Baptist Church with men's ministry. Little did I know that in a few months, the Fellowship of Christian Athlete was approaching my wife and I to interview for the job as president and CEO of the ministry, and uh, in incredible. 2005 I took over incredible uh, that ministry which we love to this day.
1: Well, just just to show, um, you know, being in tune with the Holy Spirit and, yeah. and listening to that, and and you know, not blowing that off, but actually soaking that in, and and say putting it in your journal and revisiting it again when it came back around. That's. That's impressive, Coach. That's very yeah, cool. Yeah, I'll tell you,
0: Nick, you know, just a, a side note, uh, the day uh, of the game, uh, Super Bowl 34, uh, I went back uh, to uh, my uh, hotel room, and I got on my knees, and I just said, Lord, just explain to me uh, what, what happened. I mean, you know, we had the perfect play design. Yeah, there was some human error involved in that last play, but, you know, what's in store here? And for 20 minutes, and I'm not exaggerating, for 20 minutes I just kneeled there in silence by myself. Everybody in my family, from Chris's family, my family, they're all downstairs supposedly going to celebrate at this party, which wasn't much of a celebration. Right. And I just waited, and finally I heard a voice again say, you know, um, your team was one yard short of uh, victory tonight, he said. Do you know how many people are one yard short of eternal victory? And I expect you to go tell them. Well, I remembered that moment when FCA came calling. I had forgotten it, of course. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that night, just shortly after the Super Bowl defeat, and it was really gut-wrenching, but I was still at peace yeah. about it, uh, to know that I'm going to be asked to lead uh, the largest Christian ministry in the world, uh Now I get the message. So I share that with people who are believers who are out there. God has a great game plan for your life. And if you're willing to totally surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you will be amazed what happens. And I just say that to young people today in their 20s and 30s who are so ambitious, who have all these burning desires to do all this stuff. Just sit back for a minute and ask yourself have you totally surrendered your life to christ and if you have you may be going in a totally different direction than you ever thought i did yeah because i had no interest zero you can ask my wife i had no interest in being a football coach but when i got real serious after i came back from vietnam and i was frightened it was february fifteenth, 1972 i was on my knees and i said lord I'm more fearful right now because I'm stepping into life without any organizational security, and I am more fearful than I am as being in an ambush site yeah. in Vietnam. Yeah. Will you please, please tell me and show me what you want me to do? Fast forward, all my Marine buddies, including my girlfriend now 46 years, my wife, <laughs> said, you'd be a great football coach. And I said, that's the last thing I'll ever do. Wow. Wow
1: and again just being in tune with with that calling and being accepting of it willing to willing to follow that promise so well do you miss football though
0: i don't you don't no uh my wife keeps me updated she's the biggest football <laughs> fan i think i've ever met in my <laughs> life and uh, I'll be, you know, watching television or doing something, and she'll interrupt me. And go look, look what's happening in the yeah. NFL. Look what's happening in college football. Oh my gosh, did you hear what the TSAA says? Right. I go, oh my gosh, I don't <laughs> have to worry about it. I mean, she keeps me tagged. Well, you got grandkids
1: now, though. Yeah, like, we you know, do. maybe we do. maybe they'll maybe they'll play, and you can yeah. help out because you know your your son in law. I played football with him. He's a big kid. You know, you may have some some big grandkids that, yeah, that take on so. the gridiron. Oh
0: yeah, and they they love sports, and you know, as I tell Sean. Who played middle linebacker at Brentwood High when you did, and of course Luke came in after that as the middle linebacker. We, uh, I, I encourage people who are listening. If you have young children, let them play any sport. Yeah. Uh, specialize later in life. Uh, you know, I played three sports: football, basketball, and baseball, and throw in boxing. And next thing you know, you, yeah. you know, I enjoyed sports. Uh, But I think when people zero in at an early age, it really robs the kids of having wonderful experiences in other fields. So uh, without a doubt, uh, there'll be a time where somebody needs to specialize like golf or tennis or whatever it may be. But in the meantime, let them enjoy uh, sports each and every uh, season during the year.
1: Right. Right. Well, Coach, got uh, two real quick questions for you. One of them, with all your travels, you've been all over the place, coached many, many different places, lived many, many places. Why did you guys come back to Nashville? This is home. This is your home now.
0: You know, uh, it's an easy answer, Nick, and it's so sincere. Uh, Like I said, we moved 12 times, and Chris and I lived all over the country. As uh, president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, Chris and I traveled over 200 days a year for 12 years. It was grueling. We made it to 49 states. We didn't make it to Alaska, even though we were there, <laughs> and we did have a ministry in Alaska. In the last three years, we uh, the vision said to, to impact the world for Jesus Christ, and yet no one ever went international with FCA. So our last three years, we took it international, and to this day, I can tell you we're in 84 countries. But we saw different parts of the United States. Gosh, we lived in the San Francisco area, in Minneapolis, and down in Houston, and Denver, and uh, New England, which uh, we loved. And we, we, we just talked about where one day we would settle. And Chris and I talked about, uh, you know, ended up in Boulder, Colorado. People say it's the most popular place to live. It's absolutely gorgeous. The weather couldn't be better. Uh, the sun shines. It's 311 days a All year because right. that was All one of our recruiting spiels. <laughs> but when we came to Nashville and we got involved in our church and the community, We both looked at each other, me from the East Coast, growing up in a blue-collar town in eastern PA, and she from the beaches of Southern California. We have never met the nicest, friendliest people uh, anywhere. And so we said, this is going to be home for us someday. And as people say, it's the buckle of the Bible belt, and we're glad it is. And uh, so we say, without a doubt, why did you not choose Boulder over Nashville, because you talk about it so much. I say, well, in Boulder, they smoke grass. In Nashville, they cut grass. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: fair. That's fair. Well, one last question I like to ask all my guests on here. Um, if you could go back and give 20-year-old Les one piece of advice, what would it be? All the wisdom you've, you've accumulated over the years, if you could go back to 20-year-old you, what would you tell him?
0: Well, you know, my uh, kids get tired of me playing coach and lecturing them when I see them. So I've learned to be silent now because they go, Dad, Dad, we got it. We got it. (laughs) What you do today affects tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I said, don't ever forget that. Mm -hmm. Because we're all quarterbacks and we all walk around this planet and we're quarterbacks making the power of choice. And so what you do today... Will affect tomorrow, believe it or not. And secondly, God has a great game plan for your life. Uh, I've brainwashed him on what I call the seven F's. When I was driving to Boulder, Colorado, cross country, I said, Lord, I'm starting a whole new world. Could you help me? Could you give me some direction and guidance? Because I need structure in my life, just like the Marine Corps showed me and it continued to show me uh, as a, an, an adult, as a parent, as a husband, as a coach. And so I came up with these 7 Fs that we uh, we talk about all the time as a family. So you're ready for them? They go do like it. this. Faith, family, and football were our first 3 and it turned out to be faith, family and FCA later. Okay. And then it follows with friends, fitness, finances, and fun. Okay. And I I have used those seven uh, Fs all my life because I do it as a checklist. And I think young people today, uh, they still don't realize it. I was told when I was 19 in 1966, my dad sat me down one day after I hitchhiked all the way across country, which I did two to three times a year from Lawrence, Kansas to Philadelphia area uh, because we couldn't afford a plane ticket or train ticket or bus ticket. So I had to hitchhike back and forth to college, and he sat me down. He said, kid, someday you're going to be 65, and you want to be able to support your wife and your family if you have a family as old as 65, but you had better prepare for retirement now. And I remember yep. saying, Dad, I just want to show you my Golden gloves trophy <laughs> that I won a championship, and I want to go see my friends. I'm only 19. And he said, shut up and listen. Yep. Yep. And he said, Someday you'll be sixty five. And do you know right now, today, that was nineteen sixty six, that one percent of today's population in this great country of opportunity can take care of themselves and live the same lifestyle that they lived when they were in the age when they were working. One percent he said, and it's not gonna change. And you know, Nick, today it it's only one yep. percent. Yep. People don't prepare for the season of life that can be the most joyous. So with that being said, that's where the finances came in and the fun. My kids say, dad, what do you ever do for fun? All you do is work. But uh, without a doubt, we're learning how to be great grandparents and we have a lot of fun doing that.
1: That's great. That's great. Well, coach, we love you. Um, Thank you for being on here. This is, this has been a a special one for me. A lot of things I've been wanting to ask you for years. So I'm glad we, we got to get down sit down and do this. So, Thanks again, and um, we love you, buddy.
0: Well, I just wanted to close by saying, Nick, I thank you. Uh, you're such a personable and uh, likable guy, and I know Parker. Uh, he's a dear <laughs> friend of my son, Luke, and I tell Parker when I see him, I wish you were as big as you are now. I'd have given you that ball let uh-huh. you run with it for ever and ever, but he uh, just shot up like yep. crazy. My and
1: big little brother is what we like exactly. to say.
0: Exactly, yep. and please uh, pass my... Uh, sincere love and my wife's love for uh, your mom and dad and lastly i just want to say for your dad roll tide
1: roll tide all right thanks coach this is the 615 podcast subscribe rate and review
0: at nickwoodard.com forward slash podcast